Students in Book Club podcast. My name is James. And I'm Marco Sparks. How you doing, Marco? Great. Ready for the sacrifice zone? Yes. I'm ready to take some drastic measures. All right. This week on the pod, we are talking Snow Crash chapters 31 through 35. So we're getting right into the middle of the book. We got some big info dumps here. Yeah. Yeah. And some action. Yeah. Yeah. We got some kind of crazy action here with YT to start off with. Yeah. Um, so picking things up with YT here, uh, she got in the car with that Ing guy earlier and they are approaching the sacrifice zone. YT doesn't get down to Long Beach very much, but when she does, she will do just about anything to avoid the sacrifice zone. We learn. It's a, an abandoned shipyard, the size of a small town. Um, the sign the way- says, warning, the National Park Service has declared this area to be a national sacrifice zone. The sacrifice zone program was developed to manage parcels of land whose cleanup costs exceeds their total future economic value. Yeah. The way he describes what, what lies past or what's around all this is unplanned burb claves of tiny asbestos shingled houses patrolled by beetle-browed Kampuchian, Kampuchian men with pump shotguns fade off into the foam kissed beaches <laughs> yeah and then later on young men blasted out of their minds on natural and artificial male hormones must have some place to do their idiotic coming of age rituals they come in from bird clays all over the area and their four-wheel drive trucks and tear across the open ground slicing long curling gashes into the clay cap that was placed on the really bad parts to prevent wind-blown asbestos from blizzarding down over disneyland <laughs> so disneyland still exists yeah uh, YT is oddly satisfied by the fact that these boys have never pondered all-terrain vehicles like Ing's motorized wheelchair. Uh, there's all kinds of sounds and noises being as many as they approach, like some coming from Ing. There's some he great drives. imagery here. It's a, it is a clear night, and so the sacrifice zone glitters, an immense carpet of broken glass and shredded asbestos. A hundred feet away, some seagulls are tearing at the belly of a dead German shepherd lying on its back. Yeah. Um. He tells her that they're, you know, like he spots something that might be an unprotected stash of snow crash and so that she wouldn't have to buy it after all. Uh, So she hears this noise and she asks what this is. And he says, it's a bioelectric sensor, human cell membranes grown in vitro, which means in glass and a test tube. One side exposed to outside air. The other side is clean. When a foreign substance penetrates the cell membrane to the clean side, it's detected. The more fallen molecules penetrate, the higher the pitch of the sound. She's like, like a Geiger counter. And he's like very much like a Geiger counter for cell penetrating compounds. So um, he's basically looking for hormones in a way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like a chemical Geiger counter that's sniffing out snow crash. She likes that he's he's the kind of guy that he's installed bright lights on his van. He's also installed dim lights. <laughs> yes. This line from Inger he says, ah, this is good. A place for the young men gather to take drugs. <laughs> and she kind of reacts to that. YT rolls her eyes at this display of tubularity. This must be the guy who writes all those anti-drug pamphlets to get at school. Well, she says, as if this guy doesn't have dozens of drugs getting pumped into his system constantly. Yeah. Um, so he suggests that she gets out there, see what paraphernalia is there. If she can find some snow crash here, that will make the rest of her mission incredibly easy. So she puts on a toxic mask, gets out. Um, asbestos all over the place. Marine anti-fouling paints full of heavy metals. She has some gloves that are way too big for her. There's a great bit where she just thinks that clearly whoever made these in the factory never actually thought that a female, this, this female species would be wearing them. I like this little character moment. She trudges out onto the glass and asbestos soil of the zone, hoping that Ing isn't going to slam the door shut and drive away and leave her there. Yeah. Actually, she wishes he would. It would be a cool adventure. Like that's yeah. she's she's in her mind fairly indestructible, you know. So she's like, that would actually be kind of cool. I I kind of wonder if sometimes when he's when he's writing YT, if he's just having slightly more fun mm-hmm. with her than Hero. I think she's, I think he can have a little more fun with her, yeah. She just has more more voice mm-hmm. you know um so she finds some stuff picks it up gets back into the van to show him um it's we get into different kind types of needles that are now available in the future um, well she finds like, a thing that just says testosterone and he's like yeah. Haha, a false alarm yeah um so yeah he he whistles and he's got like robot arms and like dashboard cameras all set up um so they found um, a, a red herring, basically. And, and Ng's just like, oh, how amusing. You see, our biochemists lead sheltered lives. Did not anticipate some people 
It would be so mentally warped as to use hormones like they were some kind of drug. How bizarre. Uh, and YT smiles herself. She really likes the idea of living in a world where somebody like Ing can get get off calling somebody else bizarre. Yeah. And Ing says, Snow Crash. Instead, we found the Ring of 17. And we kind of get a little little tutorial about steroids and all artificial hormones. Like the same structure, 17 atoms, which is what the uh, the cell guy you're counting was like tuned to find. Unfortunately, they, they, you know, they're, they're looking for Snow Crash, which has the same thing, but they found uh, the testosterone instead. So back to the original plan, you're going to buy some Snow Crash and throw it up in the air. Uh, and, and again, a little bit of the, the YT who doesn't quite fit in with, with the world. When he initially mentions the Ring of 17 and she's like, what's that? And then it's like, is it one of those rock bands the kids are listening to these days? <laughs> uh, so he drives on, uh, you know, they get out of that really creepy part. You know, because uh, most of the sacrifice zone consists of like wilderness of dry brown weeds and large abandoned hunks of metal. And they're going to head towards some like factories. There's like, uh, you know, plantation of vegetables tended by Asian or South Americans. Uh, she gets the impression that, that Ng just wants to run them over. <laughs> but he always change. changes at the last second. <laughs> he all swears aside. Yeah, we're basically we're like, we're, they're going to some place with like it sounds like just like a bunch of um like cargo containers and whatnot yeah in front um, of a factory yeah basically like she figures out that like there's a dealer here that ing knows um and he's like he deals in chill like freon mm-hmm. and she figures out that like ing's like van is like super air conditioned so he like this he must be like you know the uh the world's only freon junkie basically because like he needs that to like you know because this is like his bodily you know prosthetic essentially um would, so she's like would, oh you buy your chill supply from this guy says until yes for the future i have, a, I have an arrangement with someone else someone else the mafia yeah i would argue that after penicillin air conditioning is the greatest human invention of all time um so he's like he like pulls off on this like access road where there's all these like sh- rusted out shipping containers i like how he like he kind of like turns around so he can get out of there in a hurry yeah yeah uh he tells her that the, the money's in the glove box. It's like this thick, worn out, dirty bundle of trillion dollar bills, which are called Ed Meese's. So Ed, um, Ed Meese was like Reagan's attorney general. Yeah. And like they also have Gippers, which are like, yeah. I guess, larger denominations. So one would assume that when hyperinflation hit in the 80s, they just started naming these larger denominations of money after like Reagan stooges. Yeah. And she wishes that she had some Gippers instead of the Meese's. Um, so the, from the book, we get this bit. It's more the kind of thing that queer would play with. You know, it's like because we're all pond scum, right? He's like, no comment. And she's like, what is this? A quadrillion dollars? He's like, one and a half quadrillion inflation. You know. So she's supposed to go to the fourth warehouse on the left. When you get the, uh, we get the snow crash dude, throw it up in the air. And then what? Everything will be taken care of. But he has her doubts about this. But if she gets in trouble, well, she can always whip out those dog tags. Yeah. Uh, so she's feeling pretty secure uh, in her position, the mafia. And as she's getting out, she notices that like basically it's like mini helicopter is like getting out of some cocoon on the roof of the van. And it, on its side, it's painted whirlwind reaper. So basically like a drone. Yeah. 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 We didn't really uh, come drones in, I guess. No. So chapter 32, uh, whitey heads to the warehouse. There's all these like shipping containers kind of out front of range. this like herringbone pattern that makes you zigzag through them. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like, seems like pretty fortified. Like to get to this place, you have to like weave back and forth through all these like big uh, shipping containers. with like guards on top of them with like machine guns and shit. Like, well, you 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 mentioned in the last podcast we recorded. It's kind of a true or a, a, a true detective scene, um, mixed with like a little bit of that, that Batman Begins action sequence. But yeah, so there's graffiti on 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 them that say like the UCOD says try some countdown today, and the UCOD we learn will stand for Undisputed King of the Ozone Destroyers. Fuck yeah, what they call Emilio. Um, <laughs> just then, like some some dude starts like jumping down from the shipping containers. You know, why she says she's not there for the chill. She wants snow crash. Inquires about the price. He tells her it's going to be one point seven five gippers, and she's like, I thought it was one point five. And he's like, inflation. Yeah, still a bargain. Hell, that plank you're on is probably worth a hundred gippers. So that's interesting. So a hit yeah. of snow crash is like almost two gippers. Her skateboard is like at least a hundred gippers, and I don't know if that includes like the smart wheels or not. So. Yeah. So what she counters, you know, you can't even buy these things for dollars anymore. So she says she she has one point five quadrillion. Uh, and he laughs because it's all in Mises. Yeah. <laughs> you guys you got a chick who wants to pay in Mises. 
Like, we don't get chicks back here very often, the fat old bald guy says. This is like the, the guy who's in charge. YT knows that this must be the you caught himself. So we'll give you a discount for being spunky. Turn around. Fuck you, YT says. She's not going to turn around for this guy. Everyone at the earshot laughs. Okay, do it, the Yukon says. Yeah, so the the first guy, the skinny guy, gets his capsule spat out of the briefcase. They want to watch her take the snow crash. Well, it's like they always have to do the thing where they like, he like opens up the briefcase, his little computer keyboard, he gets his ID card out and he puts it yeah. into his slot and he like has yeah. to type some shit. Yeah, it's like it's, they have to do this thing every time somebody wants to hit a snow crash. I don't remember all the street names that we got in the previous set of chapters, but I'm assuming Countdown was one of them. And that's what, yeah, yeah. in line up the graffiti because it starts to count down on her. Um, and so instead, of course, doing it, she she tosses up in the air and the, the whirlwind like reaper. How she's, huh. he, she just kind of, kind of backs away from him instead of inhaling it. He's like, you got a problem, little girl? And she says, not yet. And she throws yeah. it up into the air as hard as she can. Yeah. The whirlwind reaper shows up and gets it. Uh, we're told that the capsule will never come back down to Earth. Um they don't know why she would participate in this suicide mission. And then a, we're told that a bunch of mini suns light up the sky and these rat things show up and just start fucking shit up on all yeah. the hidden gunmen. YT is the only person who can see worth a damn because her night visions, which are like her special goggles, have compensated for it. The men wince and sag beneath the light. Uh, in the midst of this whole visual tangle, she gets one image printed indelibly on her retina. The gunmen going down like a tree line in a hurricane. And for just an instant... A line of dark angular things silhouetted above the maze as they crest it like a cybernetic tsunami rat thing. So like the rat things are just like leaping right over all those like herringbone pattern uh, yeah. storage containers. Yeah, there's a sniper on top of the warehouse about to take out YT. The whirlwind, whirlwind reaper gets to it first, basically gets it right in the neck. And it's implied that the head just like falls oh, off. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some real violence here. Like at one point, she says, YT doesn't hear. She feels one of the rat things impacting on the body of the tall, skinny guy. Here's his ribs crackling like a ball of cellophane. Yeah. Uh, I think she says at one point, these things are just slamming right through the bodies of the men holding guns. Yeah. Um, like, like it's like these aren't just uh taking these guys guns like they did at mr lee's <laughs> they're straight yeah. annihilating these dudes so when, when she's watching the the guy get beheaded from the the, the drone we get the chapter uh, or the paragraph one part of her is dispassionately watching the head bounce and spin in the dust and the other part of her is screaming her lungs out love that uh, there's another sniper up on a water tower and he takes off like running as he shoots at her or she takes off running as he shoots at her ing fires a rocket that traces the bullets back to the water tower and takes the guy out while Rat Thing is like running through the maze ahead of her, like clearing the way for her. I love um, this, this sentence here. Just before she kicks her way back into the maze, a dust line whips past her, snapping rocks and fragments of broken glass into her face. It shoots into the maze. She hears it ping pong all the way through, kicking off the steel walls in order to change directions. It's a Rat Thing clearing the way for her. How sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like he'll mention later in this chapter, these things can run 700 miles per hour. I imagine, yeah, they are going to be kind of crashing into the shipping yeah. containers because like turning is going to be the hard oh, part. It, on a dime. Like she just witnessed this absolute orgy of violence. It's like seemingly yeah. at least a dozen people got slaughtered in front yeah. of her. Like rat things just like went straight through dudes, or like the helicopter just cut that dude's head off, or like blew up the tower of the other sniper. Yeah, uh, affectionately, you would call this a bloodbath. Yeah, yeah. She not the, the greatest thing for a fifteen-year-old girl to be witnessing, but probably not. She gets in the Ings van. He takes off to the four, the four Oh five. The sniper, he says, took up like a crazy indefensible position on the water tower, which is the only thing Ing didn't account for. You know, what about the, the snow crash? He says that it was like flash frozen inside the whirlwind reaper before it could discharge or self-destruct. So now they have the only sample of snow crash that Ing has been able to acquire. Uh, he says it's the kind of success on which reputations such as mine are constructed. Nice. Nice. Yeah. She does have a line in here. She says that she can keep talking about the details of the job. Maybe she can keep her mind off what the whirlwind reaper just did. So yeah, it's, it's going to catch up to her, I think eventually. Yeah. So what about the rat things? There were nine of them. Three are in the back in the van already. Three are on their way back to the van. Three were left behind basically cleaning up what's left of these. Guys. I left them behind to carry out additional pacification measures. Yeah, just um, killing everyone else there. <laughs> like, don't worry, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be back soon. They can run seven hundred miles an hour. She asks about the nuclear stuff inside of them. He's like, oh, they're radiothermal isotopes. She's like, can that mutate people? And he's just like, if you get near something like that, radiation sickness is the least of your worries. Yeah, she has a line here, or she says, will they be able to find their way back to us? He says, didn't you ever watch Lassie come home when you're a child? Or rather, more of a child than you are now. And says, so she was right. The right things are made from dog parts. 
she says yeah. that's cruel um and he says when the rat when the rat thing as you call it is in its hutch does do you know what he's doing and she says licking his electric nuts <laughs> and, he, and he kind of tells us chasing frisbees through the surf forever eating steaks that grow on trees kind of like what we already got from the rat thing perspective there yeah yeah um, but i haven't installed your testicle licking simulations yet but now that you brought it up i shall consider it so it yeah. kind of seems like he invented rat things yeah he's he's in charge of the mechanical whatever so this is like kind of uh i mean is he leaving the 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 hong kong franchise i think i think it's like just a joint operation okay i think i I assume that the mafia like they you know they got a bunch of grease balls for the kind of stuff they do but when they like need like a, a highly specialized operation where they have to like perfectly capture the snow crash and like freeze it flash freeze it before you know like they can't just send like the their like mob goons to do that. They needed like specialized technology, so they partner up with Mr. Lee. Yeah, and 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 Ng's whole thing is like you need machinery, you need robotics, mm-hmm. you need AI to handle this. But yeah, she's just like, you know, kind of giving him shit still about, you know, when the dog's out of the hutch running errands from him, like how cruel that is. And he's like, Can't you imagine how liberating it is for a pit bull terrier to be capable of running seven hundred miles an hour? So she's quiet. He tells her that her problem is that she assumes mechanically assisted beings such as himself are pathetic cripples. And he says that actually they are better than they ever were before. Um, She asks where he gets the pit bulls from. He says an incredible number of them are abandoned every day in cities all over the place. She's like, you cut up pound puppies. He says, we save abandoned dogs from certain extinction and send them to what amounts to dog heaven. Yeah. So, all dogs don't necessarily go to heaven. They go to yeah. Mr. Well, Lee's Greater Hong Kong. Good little backstory here for YT. Uh, she says, my friend Roadkill and I had a pit bull, Fido. We found it in an alley. Some asshole had shot it in the leg. We had a vet fix it up. We kept it in this empty apartment in Roadkill's building for a few months. Played with it every day. Brought it food. And then one day we came to play with Fido and he was gone. Someone broke in and took him away. Probably sold him to a research lab. And probably, Ng says, but there's no that's no, that's no way to keep a dog. She says, it's better than the life he was living before. Um, so she asks if Fido's a rat thing now, and he and Ing says, "I would hope so for his sake." Well, she also asks, "Do they remember stuff?" She says, "To the extent that dogs can remember anything, uh, we don't have any way of erasing memories." And this is important because we're now going to cut to Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong franchise in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where semi-autonomous guardian a B seven eighty two comes awake. Uh, the factory that put him together thinks of him as a robot num- named Number B seven eighty two. Uh, but he thinks of himself as a pit bull terrier named Fido. So, hey, it's Fido. Yeah. Speak of the devil. Yeah. Fido was a bad doggy sometimes in the old days, but now he's part of the pack. But far, far away, Fido can hear some barking. Some bad men are trying to hurt a nice girl. So the other doggies are hurting the bad men, as it should be, he yeah. says. Once there I mean, was a nice girl who loved him. Yeah. Um, that was before when he lived in a scary place and he was always hungry and many people are bad to him. But the nice girl loved him and he, and was good to him. Fido loves the nice girl very much. So perhaps this will come up later. Yeah. He can tell that from the barking of the dog is that the nice girl's safe now. So he goes back to sleep for the moment. But I do feel like this is like, in a way, it's really excellent character building for YT. Like she isn't just like this like edgelord badass who's like constantly dropping quips and whatnot. Like uh, she cares about animals, you know, like she, we saw the way she treated the rat thing. They got injured. We learned this about Fido. Fido remembers her. Um, yeah. So I think we're, we're getting like YT. I think she's becoming more and more well-rounded. Well, and and she's been in a stressful situation where her armor's kind of chipped away. So we get this kind of vulnerable. Yeah. And it know, is, moment. I mean, like, I mean, who doesn't love a dog? You know, like girl, girl loves dogs. It's, it's like, yeah, not a huge dog guy, but it's like, I don't know. It's 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 almost cheating, but it's like, how can you not like love YT a little more after like learning this story? Yeah, I think people who love dogs—that's where they prove that they're human. Mm-hmm. Um, so, chapter thirty-three: YT and hero protagonists are reunited. Uh, YT shows up in the babble room, uh, proclaims that it looks like a shook-up snow globe. She's got some intel for him. Uh, she says that snow crash is basically a roid. It gets into your cell walls and does something to the nucleus of cells. So here it just turns to the librarian. It's like, <laughs> just like herpes. You're right. Just like herpes. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, why are you hanging out with this in guy? And she's like, mob draw. The mafia has a sample of the drug for the first time. Thanks to me and my paling. Until now, it's all self-destructive before they could get to it. So I guess they're analyzing or something trying to make an antidote, maybe. 
And he's like, we're trying to reproduce it. And YT's like, the mafia wouldn't do that. And he says, don't be a sap. Of course they would. And yeah. she seems miffed to hear her. She says, and he says, look, I'm sorry for reminding you of this, but if we still had laws, the mafia would be a criminal organization. And she's like, well, we don't have laws, so it's just another chain. Fine. Yeah. All I'm saying is they may not be doing this for the benefit of humanity. Yeah. So she asks if he's here, if his nerdy demon for the benefit of humanity is he trying to chase a piece of ass. So they agreed to not talk. I love how she she knows about that. (laughs) Yeah, touche. They agreed to not talk about the mafia anymore. And YT bounces. Once she's gone, he says to the librarian, she may have a crush on me. And the librarian says, she did seem quite affectionate. Yeah. I wonder how much, like, have they talked about Juanita? Like, like, how does she know that? I don't know. I'm fascinated. Well, the structure is interesting because they can't have these conversations because of the weird time jumps that we have and yeah oh, and I, a lot of it could just be yt is very observant like yeah. she would have she could have guessed like what is this guy really up to you know well all he has to say is like i'm working with my friend juanita on this or whatever mm-hmm. and she can be like uh-huh uh, yeah yeah uh so back to work here asks where you know ashra came from originally um librarian says you know originally from sumerian mythology hence she's also important in babylonia syrian canaanite uh hebrew ugaritic myths they're all sent from the sumerian so the language died the myths were passed on which is how most myths work much like you know latin in europe and in middle ages um few tablets sumerian language surviving l bob rife has some of them but he's not releasing them Others have a lot of language it's hard to do anything with. It's a lot of like recursive phrases that have no lasting impression left in the minds of the readers. Uh, it's a lot of like one city boasting about how much better they are than another city. Yeah, like, the, like what makes one Sumerian city better than another one? A bigger ziggurat, a better football team? And librarian says, better me. It says, what are me? I don't know. If it, is it me or may or I don't know. I'm just going to say yeah, me. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so me are rules or principles that control the operation of society, like a code of laws, but on a more fundamental level. Or doesn't yeah. get it. He says that is the point. Sumerian myths are not readable or enjoyable in the same sense that Greek or Hebrew myths are. They reflect a fundamentally different consciousness from ours. And I think this is really interesting because it's not it's not just like, oh, these are older myths than the Greek myths. It's like, no, these don't make any sense to the way our consciousness works. You know, yeah. it's it's like almost alien. Yeah. Yeah. Just completely different values, philosophies, understanding of the world. Uh, so the Akkadians descended from the Sumerians and had to go through and edit out the stuff that was too bizarre for us to pass them on. The Akkadians were Semites, uh, cousins of the Hebrews. Um, so we so learned we about more, like what yeah. I, I think this is like what the Akkadians had to say about Ashira. She's a goddess and the, uh, the erotic end of fertility. She also has a destructive vindicticide and one myth. Nice. Kirita, a human king, is made grievously ill by Ashira. Only El, king of the gods, can heal him. El gives certain persons the privilege of nursing at Ashira's breast. El and Ashira often adopt human babies and let them nurse on Ashira. In one text, she is a wet nurse to 70, 70 divine sons. Spreading the virus, Hero says. Mm-hmm. He, uh, mentions he mentions how mothers with AIDS can spread the disease, yeah? Yeah, by breastfeeding. Um, so Hero wants to hear some of the Sumerian stuff, even if it's untranslatable. Um, the li- librarian offers to like the, the tale of how Ashura made Enki sick. This tale is so bizarre. This is like, this was burned in my memory. This was like the myth that I remembered, you know, 15 years later after reading this book. Cause it's, and, and I always thought like someday I want to dive more into Sumerian <laughs> myths. Um, yeah. But so, you know, the, he mentions that the story is how it's translated depends on like how it's interpreted. Some see it as a fall from paradise story. Some see it as a battle between the male and female of, or water and earth. Some see it as a fertility allegory. You know, uh, he mentions like the translator that this is based on. So uh, Enki and Asherah, you know, although she bears other epithets in this name, live in this place called Dilmun. It's a pure, clean and bright place. There's no sickness. People don't grow old. Predator animals do not hunt. But there's no water. So somebody pleads of Enki who was it's, a sort it's of water a, god. It's Asherah. Oh, okay. In that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to plead with Enki, you know, sort of water god to bring water to Dilmun. So he he does so by masturbating amongst the reeds and ditches and letting flow his life giving semen, the water of the heart, as it's called. Uh, at the same time, he pronounces an amshub forbidding anyone to enter this area. He does not want anyone to come near his semen. Uh, you know, it doesn't say why in the myth. Um, it's so valuable or dangerous or both. Yeah. So like namshub, it's like he just like spits out some code there to like say off limits. Yeah. But it's like there's this weird thing where Shira is like violates his decree 
takes some semen and impregnates herself. And then like after nine days, she gives birth painlessly to her daughter. And then the daughter, like, like Enki, like sees the daughter and becomes inflamed and goes and like has sex with her, you know? And then like another daughter is burned. And it it just like keeps repeating where like Enki keeps on having sex with these daughters that he's creating. It's like, um, there's a line in here about, um, how it's like, it's maybe it's like some sort of metaphor for like recursive, uh, reproduction. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it just oh, this line is, he's talking about like one of the daughters manages to obtain a sample of inky semen from another's thighs. And he says, "My God, talk about your mother-in-law from hell." Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Alter interprets the myth as an exposition of a logical problem, supposing that originally there was nothing but one creator. How could one? How could ordinary binary sexual relations come into being? Because uh, like, like eventually the the recursive pattern stops and there's these like new deities um who like reproduce the old-fashioned way yeah yeah so is this a logical problem is this answer the logical problem of myth making you know how could you have one creator with this binary system reproduction um and so librarian goes into how some myths talk about a time between paradise and earth when they were the same and then they were split and that's when the world was essentially created um and that both enki and asherah's uh stories you know origin stories that they have this this point where they got their names involves conquering chaos in some form and enki was the end of the city of eridu located in southern iraq recently excavated by rife's people the end being a kind of priest king uh the end would keep the me the rules of society guard in their temple on clay tablets that were written on so he had kind of a reputation as a god of wisdom, kind of a cult wisdom that was known to help humankind, especially with his water and his life-giving semen. <laughs> and it said that he created the the, the Tigris River in one act. A single uh, apocalypse of masturbation. Yeah, so he's a sympathetic god for the most part. Uh, his yeah. word can bring order where there has only been chaos and introduce disorder where there had been harmony. And he could properly pronounce the names of all things because it was thought that to name something was to create it or at least have power over it. That really makes me think of um, uh, was it the Wizard of Earthsea? Yeah, like yeah. the the power that names have. Yeah, yeah. Which is just just one of the many books that features that kind of magical system. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a well, it's even a good one. even in Tolkien, like the elves were the ones who named everything. That was like they you know the, like the first thing they wanted to do was like give everything names which which in like uh stevenson terms means you control and you build the information you know you're telling the story and the mm-hmm. narrative um so he passed off this this knowledge to his son marduk who was worshipped by the babylonians and whenever marduk got stuck he'd get an assist from old dad and then we talk about the code of hammurabi um, we get back to that one drawing um or i guess it's like a statue or something yeah um but it's it's he says why exactly is Marduk handing Hammurabi a one and a zero in this picture and their emblems of royal power their origin is obscure but it's like is it obscure or is it literally binary code you know which I think is what we're kind of driving at here that this me that Enki was like the controller of may have actually been some sort of code that could control people yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting because you can look at this thing, you know, actual thing and not see it, but like the book zooms in on the picture and you mm-hmm. really see the the one and the zero. Um, and so Enki's most important roles is as the creator and the guardian of me and the gives her the keywords and patterns that rule the universe. Um, and so get a little bit about Inanna here. Um, which is so, the, the one that uh, Juanita has a crush on. Yeah, the one she's obsessed with. Uh, yes, sir. She's hailed as a savior because she brought the perfect execution of the me. Yeah. Execution, like a computer program? Yes, apparently they're, they're like algorithms for carrying out certain activities essential to the society. Some of them have to do with workings of priesthoods and kingship. Some explain how to carry out religious ceremonies. Some relate to the arts of war and diplomacy. Many of them are the about the arts and crafts, music, carpentry, smithing, tanning, building, farming, even such simple tasks as lighting fires. The operating system of society is how uh, Hero sums it up. So this is interesting. If we think about this, like kind of like pre, it's almost like a pre-conscious, like or like pre-modern conscious society mm-hmm. where there's this like me that's like almost like code that it just like controls these civilizations and like here's the code for how you do this. Here's the code for how you do that. And it's like communicated to people and then they do it. How conscious are they as they do it? I kind of wonder, you know, or, or, or I wonder in like a more literal sense, is this like a guide? 
Yeah, but is it? But it seems like there's control. It seems aspects. like there's control, yeah. and and that like, and that they need this. It's like they need the me for how to light a fire in order to light a fire. They couldn't just do it on their own, right? Kind of thing. So Hero compares it to a computer that starts off as a series of init circuits, inert circuits that you have to give rules and tell them how to be a computer, which sounds like the me, but turned a group of inert individuals into a functional society. So Enki was a good guy, God beloved by the people, kind of a hacker, which makes the Namshub thing easier to understand. You know, so why babble? Um, the librarian says it's a mystery, but Enki's actions weren't always consistent with modern norms. And so from the book, Hero says, I don't buy that. I don't think he actually fucked his sister, daughter, and so on. That sort of has to be a metaphor for something else. Like, I think a kind of metaphor for the recursive informational process. The whole myth stinks of it. To these people, water equals semen makes sense because they probably had no concept of pure water. It's all brown and muddy and full of viruses. Anyway, I can read this whole fucking thing. Yeah. It's great. But um, yeah, it's from the modern standpoint, semen is just a carrier of information, both benevolent sperm and malevolent viruses. Enki's water is semen. His data, his me, flow throughout the country of Sumer and cause it to flourish. Yeah. So by providing them with their medium for conveying information, clay, they wrote on wet clay and then they dried it out. They got rid of the water. If water got to it later, the information was destroyed. But if they baked it in, drove out all the water, sterilized Enki's semen with heat, then the tablet lasted forever, immutable, like the words of the Torah. Do I sound like a maniac? He asks. <laughs> uh, the librarian says, I'm not sure, but you sound like Lagos. And here is like, great. Next thing you know, I'll be turning myself into a gargoyle. <laughs> Won't he? Won't he? All right. Chapter 34. We are head back to Griffith Park. This is interesting. YT is going back to Griffith Park seemingly of her own accord. This doesn't sound yeah. like a mafia mission. She's just doing this on her own. Well, and, and the book was very, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't think people ever talk about him this way, but to me, Stevenson almost has this kind of cinematic way where like the image of the woman who was nice to her at the Falabala camp earlier sticks with you. Mm-hmm. So you you believe it when she's going back here because it it doesn't he doesn't really stretch out like oh you should pay attention to this later you know like but you believe it so she's got her new plank her new night vision goggles because hey you got to spend money to make money she says presumably the mafia just paid her some big money for helping score the snow crash yeah but really like what she was doing there was incredibly dangerous you know yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. you are the bait that has to go out and do this and yeah. we'll try to protect you yeah um, the last time she she'd been there she hadn't paid much attention because she didn't ever want to come back here. But now she seems like she's about to go over the steep embankment. Uh, once she gets in the camp, she she's got some pretty cool gear now. Like she went out and like sprung for new gear. So like her coverall that she wears, like it's going to be a real attention getter in the middle of the night in this fall ball zone. So she just like reaches up to her collar and like presses a button and it like darkens. And it's like now it's like an oil slick. Like she's like stealth mode. Yeah. Once she's in the camp, she assumes they don't care since they probably get a lot of Kool-Aid drinking couriers, which is a great uh you know, kind of bit of alliteration with the the K's, mm-hmm. but she's fine to have them assume that she's that's who she is for now, as long as they don't check out the detailing of her new plank. And basically, um, she's like just like going straight down the side of a cliff. She's going super fast. And by the time she gets in the bottom, she's like totally zooming through there. Mental note: next time, just jump off a fucking bridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, she can see like vague, like spectral red faces using like the different filters on her goggles. Um. I love that they both a YT and a hero like upgrade their gear in this section. Yeah. Like it's, it's like they start to be pretty fucking badass. Oh, I think that that's probably like, uh, I don't know. I guess I don't read a lot of this genre. That's probably a huge trope. And like, well, it's uh, a video game thing too. You fucking level up, you know, like, it's like, hell yeah. yeah. You got like, you did some jobs, you know, you got some cash. You can go level up all your equipment now. Yeah, so so the, the goggles like let her see like things that you know in the shadows where her unassisted eyes would only see darkness. Um, the, these new night visions cost her a big wad of her mob drug running money, just the kind of thing mob had in mind when she insisted YT get a part time job. <laughs> so some of the people she saw before are gone, but different folks are there, including some truly lost souls and duct tape straight jackets. Then someone recognizes her and calls out, "Hey, it's our friend, the courier." Welcome, friend. Her- yeah, she's got her lick her liquid knuckles out, ready to go. She's also pretty tooled up with other weapons. Yeah, she's got some high voltage, high fashion metallic cuss on her wrist in case like, someone tries to grab her by the same, and a Bundy stunner up her sleeve. Only the most tubular throwbacks carry guns. Guns take a long time to work. You have to wait for the victim to bleed to death. But paradoxically, they end up killing people pretty often. Yeah, but nobody hassles you after you hit them with a Bundy stunner. At least that's what the ads say. It's, that that line about her mom is interesting. Like, was YT 
like was she in the thrasher lifestyle before she became a courier or like you know did it all come at the same time i wonder like what was whitey like before she became a courier yeah good question it seems like Uh, she's been a courier for like a year or more you know like you know she's been doing this for a while and it plays it off like that's that's kind of a huge amount of time as far as experience goes Mm -hmm. Uh, because time is you know very interesting in this book in this world uh but she zeroes zeroes in on her target the bald woman in the torn up chanel knockoff who was nice to her earlier she wants well, to like she her remembered the- her and yeah. it, it almost like this in theory she's gathering intel but also i kind of feel like she's back here just because she saw this woman and thought i i want to help that woman yeah you yeah. know like there's something wrong here that like is freaking me out something wrong and she was nice to her mm-hmm. so she wants to take her into the woods to talk to her and she's like, I want to talk to you about what's going on with what's left of your brain. <laughs> and the woman's really out of it. She's like, you know, I'd like to talk about that. I, I believe because I believe in it. Like she's just saying these kind of affirming mm-hmm. things. So they go up the hill and she sits the woman down and talk to her. And she asks the woman where she is. Real quick. And, there's there's a line here. It says uh, they're going off in the woods. There are a couple of there are a couple behind her just ambling along pleasantly, not looking directly at her. Like they just decided it was time to go for a stroll in the woods in the middle of the night. One of them is the high priest. Yeah. So they're like fucking tail on her. Yeah. Um, the one says that she's here in the park of her friends. They're trying to spread the word. And YT asks her, you know, how'd you get here? And the woman says from the Enterprise, you know, from L. Bob Rife's raft, which is where she they they send them to go get educated. She says, I was a systems programmer for three verse systems in Mountain View, California. Suddenly whipping off a string of perfect, normal sounding English. Yeah, when, when she asks you where you didn't grow up in the raft, you know, where are you before? And suddenly she gives like a normal answer. Yeah. Uh, she talks about how her old life ended and when her new life began and goes in and out of baby talk. Uh, says that one night her computer crashed and all she saw was static. She ended mm. up in the hospital and a nice man explained that she had been washed in blood and belonged to the word now. Unclear if it was if it, if she decided or if it was decided for her, but she went to the raft of others like her, programmers who had seen the word. Yeah. Uh, Who else was the raft with you? Yeah, programmers. What did you do on the raft? One pushes up her sleeve of a raggedy sweatshirt to expose a needle-pocked arm. You took drugs? No, we gave blood. They sucked your blood out? Yes, yeah, sometimes we would do a little coating, but only some of us. Yeah. Uh, moved to the park when their veins didn't work anymore. And here they do things to help out, like drag stuff around, make barricades, but mostly singing and dancing to spread the word. There's a great line here. Uh, you want to leave? I can get you out of here. No, the one says, and never been so happy. How can you say that? You're a big time hacker. Now you're kind of a dip, if I may speak frankly. <laughs> That's yeah, okay. So- it doesn't hurt my feelings. I wasn't really happy when I was a hacker. I never thought about the important things, God, heaven, the things of the spirit. It's hard to think about those things in America. You just put them aside. But those are really important things, not programming computers or making money. Now that's all I think about. This is, I find, really interesting because it, I think it dovetails a little bit to what Juanita was talking about and like wanting to like like attract hackers and atheists to like her kind of own view of religion. It's like there is a, a spiritual component that is perhaps like missing uh, in one way or another from these hackers' lives. Juanita has thought about a way to fill that, but obviously El Baba Rife has found a way to exploit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing is we we I think we were raised through myths, our modern myths, our Joseph Campbell myths, our George Lucas myths to think that like perpetuating this like system of like good versus evil, like these things will will diametrically oppose you. But like reality, like there there's a grayness there where they're just going to pervert your values and your methods to their own means. And hence we have a whole, you know, this is how people get radicalized now. Yeah. Well, um, what we what we see is I think what we can read between the lines of what's going on here. Uh, she's a hacker, so she's she has deep structure. She's vulnerable to Namshubs uh, and to Snow Crash. And so she got Snow Crashed at work, uh, and they took her to the raft and basically like used her as a blood bag to extract as much blood as they could. Like the yeah. metavirus, it's 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 you know it comes through as like bitmap, but it has like a physical component. That, like, she, her snow blood, blood. Yeah. yeah, her blood is now infected with Snow Crash, and that is what's in the vials the ring of 17 yeah yeah so they're, they uh, they use her up until i guess like they're not getting good snow crash from her anymore and then they just like she's just been like deposited here as like this like almost useless waste who can just like sit around this camp and like move barriers around and shit and like sing songs well and and, and some of this is directly spelled out for us 
some of it's not, but like it's like the hero chapters and the YT chapters mm-hmm. are kind of meshing together because he's just he just had a chapter from Hero talking about you know biological carriers of information, and now it's starting to hit for us that like yeah, you're injecting some hacker's blood in this drug to get high, or we have like this like these big info dumps about like Sumeria and Enki mm-hmm. and all that, and then like these other kind of information situations where like. YT is just like being a private detective here, basically. You know? Right. Uh, so YT notices the high priest is coming closer to her. She wants to run. He's trying to be amiable, like he's her fucking dad or whatever. Um, and so she's just like, I'm going to go. And he's like, that's not really the right decision for you. Like, let's go. Let's go sit and talk about it. So he tries to come over to her at the campfire. Well, the, the line, the, campfire. the line, let's go down and sit by the campfire and talk about it. Let's get the fuck away from YT before she goes into self-defense mode, YT says. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Falabal is like back up and she slips her goggles into infrared mode. She can see that one of them is holding something that's unusually warm. So she hits him with a pen light, sees that it's a hypodermic needle for red liquid in it. Fucking under infrared, creepy. it shows up warm as fresh blood. She doesn't get why they're, they're walking around with fresh blood, but doesn't want to. She hits the dude with the liquid knuckles, the high priest too, just to be safe. And the woman just stands there like totally appalled. <laughs> So they were trying to infect her, which is yeah. fucking creepy. It's like, yeah. what a weird, creepy cult. Like, a, it's part like, like the blood element makes it seem like super like savage in mm-hmm. a way, you know, it's like really primordial. But then there's like this hacker component to it as well. It, 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 like some of the little hairs in, in yeah. my brain that get left up from uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just, the, the way that it, it can infect hackers through Snow Crash. And that can also be, you know, you can mine their blood for it and infect people in other ways. So like, twice now people have come after Hero specifically. And the idea is that he would end up on the raft as a blood bag, maybe do some coding until he's completely used up. And I, then- I wonder if because he's such an OG hacker, is it like, it, it, would he like generate like a higher amount of blood for them or something yeah and it's it seems like they really want hero in particular. or stronger stronger dose yeah yeah it seems like they they would really like to get hero yeah. um and it's i i do love the concept of snow crash that can affect you through a bitmap that you see because a hacker may not ordinarily get out in the world much you know it's like oh mm-hmm. you're just at your computer you're protected there it's like no you're not you know like it's i love that wrinkle that it can affect you that way well and so i i think I don't know. This is kind of my headcanon, but I think it's kind of supported. So so David was not the same skill level as Hero. Like, he had good circumstances. He took advantage of opportunities. I mean, it's hard to say. He was successful. We're getting Hero's perspective on this. So Hero yeah. may think that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, but, whereas like David's also had to then run the business of being successful, mm-hmm. perhaps heroes continued on working his skills. I don't think Hero's necessarily like the Waz character. You know, okay. like uh, like as opposed to Steve Jobs or anything like that. But interesting, interesting. Yeah. Um, so later, white in traffic, pooned onto the back of a lettuce truck. She's trying to talk to her mom on the phone, and eventually hangs up because of the noise and because she wants, she just doesn't want to deal with it. <laughs> she has to hang up on the old bitch. It's impossible to talk to her. Yeah. So she she calls Hero. She hates that he always sounds too laid back for his business dealings. He's just like walking down the street in L.A. And she starts to ask, how can be how can he be in the metaverse and be walking down the street? And then she realizes and she's like, Oh my God, you didn't turn into a gargoyle, did you? And he kind of did. <laughs> well, like, Hero says he is hesitant, embarrassed, like it hadn't occurred to him yet that this was what he was doing. It's not exactly like being a gargoyle. Remember when he gave me shit about spending all my money on computer stuff? Yeah. I decided I wasn't spending enough, so I got a belt pack machine, small server made. I'm walking down the street with this thing strapped on my belly. It's really cool. You're a gargoyle. <laughs> Yeah, so he's basically like, it's a better rig, doesn't have shit strapped all over his body. She's all business now. She's like, you know, she talked to a wholesaler, gives him the download. This woman used to be a hacker, saw some shit on her computer, got sick for a while, then ended up in a cult, and then on the raft. Well, she's clearly freaked out. She's like, they take their blood, heroes, suck it out of their bodies. They infect people, you know, by injecting them with blood of sick hackers. Like, this is freaking her the fuck out. Yeah. So, also, presumably, this would be David's future, is eventually he'll end up on the raft i mean it seems like david might have like the security to prevent that right but otherwise yeah they would just like take him but like whatever episode he's continuously having would eventually Mm -hmm. subside enough to yeah well i think i think what we're supposed to intuit from the the nice man 
the the nice man who came, you know, and and helped yeah. the uh, the hacker woman is that I think they did like a nam shove on her to like fix mm. her. I think mm. that's what might be what's going on there. I got you, got you. So he tells her this is this is good intel. Um, he confirms that it's true what she got from the lady that she saw some static on computer and made her sick. He's like, don't worry. It only affects hackers. And she's like, my mother is a programmer for the feds. You asshole. Why, Why didn't, didn't she you warn me? Warn me? <laughs> so, yeah. Half an hour later, she's there. It doesn't bother to change back into her wasp disguise this time. Just burst into the house and basic bad black. I love this. She's like kind of breaking cover with her mom. Uh, and she just like goes and grabs some like big crystal, like award trophy thing and like for, throws it right at her mom's computer. <laughs> For sucking up to her her mom's fed boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Winds up and throws a crystal word. It goes right over her mom mom's shoulder, glances off the computer table, flies right through the picture tube. Awesome results. YT always wanted to do that. Yeah. And then her mom is like, what the fuck is going down? Uh, YT just stays silent until the mom like shuts up. And YT says, I just saved your fucking life, mom. You could at least offer me an Oreo. Yeah. Well, I, I love this this kind of domestic scene where knowing this will go on for a few minutes, YT goes in the kitchen to splash some water in her face. Her mom follows her and keeps yelling, eventually giving up in the face of YT's strategy of silence. <laughs> uh, so her mom's asking what she's talking about. And she's like, it's like if you people of a certain age would make some effort to stay in touch with some sort of basic modern day events, then your kids will not have to take these drastic measures. <laughs> you can uh, at least offer me an Oreo. Yeah. Chapter 35. All right. It's gargoyle time. Heroes we're, being a gargoyle. We're, we're looking at the earth, at least the, that CIC computer interface of the earth in real time or semi real time. So he sees the raft is a couple hundred miles off the Oregon coast. That explains why Juanita went to Astoria a couple days ago. She wanted to get close to the raft. Why is anyone's guess? Yeah. Hey, you guys. So we get a little bit of description of the raft at the center is a pair of enormous vessels, the enterprise and an oil tanker, Lashed together side by side, these two behemoths are walled in by several other major vessels, an assortment of container ships and other freight carriers. And this is the core. And then beyond that, it's just a bunch of boats and like life rafts and dinghies and like just anything that will float, you know, like just like slabs of styrofoam and oil drums. It's just, yeah. A good 50% isn't even real boat material at all. Just a garble of ropes, cables, planks, nets, and other debris tied together on top of whatever kind of flotsam was handy. Yeah. And the center of it all is El Bob Rife, and Juanita's connected somehow. So Hero decides it's time for him to, to go there and find out. So then we cut to Scott Lagerquist at, at this motorcycle mall. <laughs> uh, Hero just shows up and fucks with this guy pretty, pretty But specially. I love that we get it all from Scott Lagerkiss' perspective. It's kind of like with the uh, the mafia guy, Jason yeah. the Iron Pumper, you know, where Hero just like wanders in. Scott Wilson Lagerkiss, the guy yells from 50 feet away in closing. How are you doing? Fabulous, what? Scott says. A little caught off guard, maybe. Can't remember this guy's name, which is a problem. Where has he seen this guy before? It's, it's fascinating that like this is still that same chapter. Just the same as like we got the little addendum with uh, Fido. Mm-hmm. Like he's not afraid to just like switch to a completely new perspective mid chapter. I love it. Uh, Scott says that like, oh, it's this one guy here. No, he's on vacation and here. It's like, oh yeah, in Corsica, uh, the uh, 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 Joshiko uh, Hyatt, room five. 5- 43 that's right i completely forgot about that like he's being a total gargoyle and like being totally annoying and looking up information constantly yeah the, the boss yeah so here wants a new yamaha he's told that none are available and hero's like yes there is you ordered one last month here it comes on the truck now <laughs> do you think hero's out like right right like stealing this or like has he like hacked a requisition or something to get this uh i, mean, I, I guess he hacked, pays for it but he, he pays for it and then some so i think he hacks the requisition yeah but so the bike's there it's high tech the wheels are so advanced that they're basically not even wheels they're more well, they're, like they're smart wheels yeah they're like a the, bunch of like spokes like um like yt's uh skateboard but like bigger yeah um, yeah let me give you the description of this thing it looks like a black land torpedo two-wheel drive natch the wheels are so advanced they're not even wheels they look like giant heavy-duty versions of the smart wheels that high-speed skate uh, boards use independently telescoping spokes with fat traction pads on the ends dangling out over the front in the nose cone of the motorcycle is a sensor package that monitors road conditions, decides where to place each spoke as it rolls forward, how much to extend and how to rotate the foot pad for maximum traction. They say this baby will do 120 miles an hour on rubble. Yeah. Uh, I'll run on a BIOS on a flat screen panel on the motorcycles dash. 
Uh, Scott's like worried that this guy is going to pay dealer invoice, being such a close personal friend and confidant of the boss. But Hero throws in a few Kong bucks in over the dealer invoice price just to make it easier on Scott and give him a little commission. Yeah, um, it's like so- at the last second, he like he decides to be magnanimous. And then just the icing on the cake, guy goes nuts in the cycle shop, totally berserk, buys a complete outfit, everything top of the line, a full black coverall that swatters everything from toes to neck and breathable bulletproof fabric with armor gel pads in all the right places and airbags around the neck. Even safety fanatics don't bother with a helmet when they're wearing one of these babies. Now, remember, we don't want the, the helmets are bad, according to Uncle Enzo, because you can't hear. So, yeah. So once Hero figures out how to attach his swords on the outside of the bike, he's ready to go. Uh, he starts doing something unauthorized at the BIOS. And Scott's like, I got to say, you look like one bad motherfucker. Thanks, I guess, Hero says. Um, say hi to your brand new niece, Hero says, as he takes <laughs> off. The bike is so high tech that it doesn't even bother to make a noise. Um, then a half second later, the guy with the swords is a dot on the horizon. Then he's gone. Northbound. Northbound. Fuck yeah. This is like we've had we've done a lot of research. Now Hero is moving into action. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the next uh chapter, chapter 36, has one of my favorite passages in all of literature. We're not there yet, but uh, we'll save that for next time. Excellent, excellent. Um, but yeah, I think I think we've got a fair amount of our learning about Sumeria and Enki and whatnot out of the way. I think we're we're seeing I guess the question right now is what is what is YT up to? Because Hero's like going to the rafts. He's like on a mission. Yeah. Um and and Juanita might be there already too. Right. So I feel like he's that's part of the reason he's going there. It's not not just um because he's learned all this new information about Snow Crash, but that Juanita could be there and in, in danger. You know, he's not necessarily doing this for the benefit of humanity. Yeah. All all together. Uh mm-hmm. yeah. Ah. <sighs> I mean, what's YT's mom going to do now that she knows that she's like a thrasher and a courier? Yeah, it's, it's like the season two finale of Buffy. Mm-hmm. Have you tried not being a courier? Yeah. All right. um, Next time, chapters 36 through 40. Um, if you'd like to support the podcast, go check out our book or books, I should say. Uh, My name is Trouble and Trouble Always Finds Me. Book three is coming out soon. In fact, it might be out by the time this podcast drops. Actually, well, probably not, but very soon. It'll be out. Comes out in, in September. So uh book three, Troll Takes a Holiday. Go to my name's troll.com if you'd like to learn about that. They're kind of like teen mystery books. Not at all like this. Mm. But um hopefully everyone's having a good time with Snow Crash here. We're we're right in the middle. And I'm very much enjoying it. This is my my favorite uh part of my week is reading these chapters of Pod. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. High praise. Yeah. yeah, so stay tuned for the Nam Shub of Trouble. <laughs> Um, all right, cool. Until Have next time. Bye bye. Bye.